Men grow cold as girls grow old, and we all lose our charms in the end. In this abyss, darkness, death unfolding, holding close to blood, bone, stone, I seek to ascertain the impossible. A demonic proposition, I enter the scene, a silken girling, wet slicked and heavy. Oh babe, how I bid thee to bite. When I contemplate girldom in all its fiction and fallacies, I feel trapped, ill-fated, caught in the confines of a life that I did not choose, a spell not once of mine own making. Heart hard, lost, listless, I dream of the day I am free from the chains of a body to which I do not belong. There is a girl on a glossy magazine, bright shining. She does not look like me, and I do not look like her. Pictured, Marilyn Monroe as Lorelei Lee in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. 1953, directed by Howard Hawks. Brain rotting, blood stopping, porcelain, copper stone, from a burgeoning girl to this body I deign today, I forever recall a reluctancy to play sugar, spice, and all things nice. I do recall, babe, moons ago, an inkling of something not quite right in mind, mind and body upon reading Gender Trouble, Feminism and the Subversion of Identity, a seminal text within the queer theory canon by noted American writer, philosopher and gender theorist Judith Butler. Butler outlines the concept of gender as performance and the nuanced ways in which said performance differs on the basis of race, class and sexuality. In many ways, I wish to return to that gilded cage before I did unearth those pages, before that can of worms spilled out onto the dirt. It was not until reading Butler's words that I had realised, reader, that the rotten apple core of mine identity was indeed desirability. This systematic conditioning I had first awakened from, once bright, flagrant, glaring, became internalised and embodied. No, no longer jarring futility, but normalised expectation. The way that we receive these messages of how to be hot, wet, sexy, have now become maladjusted. Pink ribbon wrapped in tawdry epithets of self-love, care and empowerment. Year upon year, dear reader, I feel that I have waxed and waned towards feminist praxis and felt much reluctance to claim as mine identity. What once felt like a sharp stab to the heart, shock horror, true pain upon reading a vindication of the rights of women and visual pleasure and narrative cinema, slowly began to dissipate within the era of pink pussy hats and white choice feminist politics for all its exclusion and transphobic rhetoric. Pictured Betty Davis in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, 1962, directed by Robert Aldrich. 
As I now inch ever closer to 30 turns around the sun, somehow, God, I stew and sulk, hot, bothered, salty, for I feel no longer a bright young thing. I contemplate with steady urgency the beauty myth, a compelling theory by an unfortunate author which examines the relationship between women's beauty and liberation and images of beauty which have come to weigh upon us. Within the text, Wolfe dutifully articulates that many women sense that women's collective progress has stalled. Compared with the heady momentum of earlier days, there is a dispiriting climate of confusion, division, cynicism and, above all, exhaustion. I have somehow deluded myself into thinking, falsified and fleeting, if my lips are this red, if my hair is this blonde, if my nails are this long, I too will be enlightened. In truth, such social power is futile, a depreciating currency to expire when no longer deemed fuckable. The capitalist rhetoric, buy more, be more, does not in any true sense seek to empower, but to disempower, disengage and distract. Wolf writes that the modern arsenal of the myth is a dissemination of millions of images of the current ideal. Although this barrage is generally seen as a collective sexual fantasy, there is, in fact, little that is sexual about it. Beauty, or rather the industry of beauty, is, in essence, summoned out of political fear on the part of male-dominated institutions threatened by women's freedom. In all its shrouds of silk, the beauty myth remains a sinister distraction, inclined to create division and hostility within the girl psyche, using images of female beauty as a political weapon against women's advancement. Pictured, Goldie Horn in Death Becomes Her, 1992, directed by Robert Zemeckis. I now recognise beauty, blood, spit, bile, a structural inequality. An insecure currency, an ephemeral commodity, traded in exchange for social capital. Fame, money, power, however wholly or in proximity to. Liberation, it seems, is dead. And empowerment is now only a product to be consumed, our bodies the real estate to feast upon. As a girling, I became bewitched by this myth, and still now find myself struggling to escape its bloody grasp. Wolf posits the question within these here opening lines, do women feel free? I, for one, do not. The fatal crux of this underlife, which Wolf posits, poisons our freedom, is that beauty capital forever remains a finite resource. We witness women long to escape this here terror of ageing, signalling status through cosmetic enhancement, the body as eternal renovation. 
a project to forever be ongoing. An ungodly quest for perfection to death at any cost. For all the ephemeral flaws and contradictions of the beauty myth, I cannot cease giving in to the baby doll of it all. Lightning strikes and I too feel fearful. Who am I if not that Hawksian woman? <laughs>